Well, today we continue the series, I'm Not Blank Enough. And uh, today's message is going to be, as you saw just a while ago, I'm Not Attractive Enough. If you've ever struggled with feelings of inferiority, this series is for you. I said to you last week as well that if you've ever thought, I'll never have the breakthrough in my life that I need. You need a breakthrough and you're thinking, I just, I'm not going to have the breakthrough in my life that I need. Then this series that we're in right now is for you. If you've ever convinced yourself that you don't have what it takes to be successful, this series is for you. Because in this series, I'm not blank enough. We're learning from Scripture how to handle feelings of inferiority about our intelligence. We talked about that last week. If you weren't here and you haven't heard that, please look that up online. Feelings of uh, inferiority about our intelligence, about our appearance, our talents, our skills, our lack of discipline, and our spiritual life. So we're covering those areas in this five-week series. And today, we're talking about I'm not attractive enough. Last week, the message was I'm not smart enough. Today, I'm not attractive enough. I was thinking this week about uh, a time when I was, I think, in the fifth grade. might have been fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade. And I was sitting in the classroom, and there is a um, friend of mine, uh, uh, a student that we had been in class together for a couple of years already at that point. And uh, her name was Lisa. And so just kind of picture this conversation between two fourth or fifth graders. Right, so she, she was sitting there, and she said, you know... Uh, she, she said, it's interesting that I look around and I see that everybody in this room has something wrong with them. Like everybody in the world has something wrong with them. And I said, well, what do you mean? She says, everybody has something wrong about the way they look. I said, really? She said, yeah, for example, like you. She says, like you. You have a mole on your face. I'm sorry. She said, and me, I'm skinny. And then she went around the room and started mentioning everybody by name and their, what was their, their one thing that was wrong with them. You know, like, he's fat, he's short, whatever, you know, just, I'm like, wow. I'm sorry you feel this way, you know, but it got, it got me thinking and, and, you know, so she, she kind of kept talking about that. And it got me thinking, you know, if, if we could change, and, and by the way, that didn't bother, what she said about me didn't bother me. It's just, you know, she's a kid. I was a kid too, but it still didn't bother me. But it got me thinking about this, and I want to ask you a question. If you could change one feature about your physical appearance, what would it be? If you could change one thing about your physical appearance, what would it be? Now, you might be thinking, Pastor, only one? You know, I could change several things. But the, the, the truth is that most of us probably wish we could change several things about our appearance. And, and maybe the older we get the more things need to be changed about our appearance. It's a good thing that the older we get, the less we care. Well, not really. Hopefully we still care. But, um, and, and I kid because I, I think we do care about how we look, and that's why we take care of ourselves. You know, we cover our blemishes, color our hair, whatever steps you, you want to take to help yourself look good because our appearance is important to us, isn't it? That's why we look in the mirror every, every morning when we get ready. Our appearance is important to us. And so... It probably bothers us to think that we might not be attractive enough, despite all we do, to take care of ourselves. 
But we're going to read a story today from Genesis 29. And I'm going to encourage you to follow these uh, verses, these passages of Scripture in your Bible. And stay engaged in that way. And we're going to read a story in Genesis 29 about a girl named Leah. Who is described in the Bible in a not so flattering way. Her physical description. And then to make matters worse, she wasn't all that good looking. And to make matters worse, she had a sister who was stunning, who was incredibly good looking. So let's read the story from Genesis 29, beginning with verse 16. And we'll read all the way today to verse 30, and then we'll read some more later. Genesis 29, 16 reads like this. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. We'll come back and talk about that later. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And some other versions might say, and had a, a, you know, a beautiful face. Verse 18, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Right? Oh, brother. But uh, really, I mean, he was so in love with her. This just speaks about how much he loved her that seven years seemed like a few days. Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So there was, again, that physical attraction was just really strong. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the, before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah. And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his uh, servant Billa to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel, listen to this, his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Wow, what a story. What a fascinating story. If you know a little bit about Jacob, he, the reason he is in this part of the country with Laban is because Laban is actually his uncle. So Jacob tricked his own father, Isaac, and he stole his brother Esau's birthright. So his brother wanted to kill him. So he was forced to flee to the home of his uncle Laban. So that means that Leah and Rachel are actually Jacob's cousins. Now we look at that and we say, wait a minute, that's not right. Let's not look at something that happened, you know, uh, thousands of years ago through our contemporary eyes. Okay. And back then, that was not only was it allowed, but it was actually preferred to marry within the family. 
And so I don't want that to be a stumbling block to understand in this story. I don't want you to look at that and say, I don't know about this story. Uh, set that aside. Understand that that was uh, acceptable. And so he, uh, Jake was running for his life, literally is trying to escape his brother, trying to kill him. And so he went to see his uncle Laban. And there he fell in love with Laban's younger daughter, Rachel. Leah was the older daughter. And uh, she, according to Laban, according to their, you know, to their customs in that part of the country, in that land, uh, Leah should have been, being the older daughter, should have been the first one to marry. But sadly, she was homely and Rachel was beautiful. So Jacob loved Rachel so much that he made a deal with Laban that he would work for her seven years for her hand in marriage. So when he completed his as we just read, his seven years of, of labor, he demanded. He said, give me my wife. Uh, and so Laban did, but he threw this marriage feast. And when it was time to send Rachel into the tent with Jacob, he instead sent Leah. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how he managed this switch. But in any case, uh, Jacob slept with Leah. It certainly was dark. It was nighttime. He could have been drinking. There was probably a lot of drinking. However it might have happened, Leah went in, and the Bible says that he slept with Leah. And then the next morning, the next morning, I love the way this reads. The next morning, when morning came, there was Leah. He was expecting Rachel, and he got Leah. And um, he was outraged. He was angry. He demanded to know why Laban had tricked him. Now, remember... This same man, Jacob, had tricked his own father. Remember how he tricked his own father? If you know the story, he tricked his own father, pretended to be somebody else, pretended to be his brother Esau, so that he could steal his birthright, so that his father would bless him. So now he gets a taste of his own medicine. He, he worked for seven years for Rachel. Instead, he got Leah. He's angry. Laban was unapologetic. He said, hey, we, we, we don't marry the, the younger daughter first. We always mar marry the older daughter. He says, but if you want Rachel... After this wedding week, then we'll, I'll give you Rachel and you stick around and work for her seven more years. So, of course, he, he did that. After one week, think about this. After one week of being married, Leah had to share her husband with her sister. She got Jacob for one week to herself and then she had to share him with her sister. Not only that, but the Bible clearly tells us that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Can you imagine how Leah felt? She was unloved by her husband, who apparently spent much more time in Rachel's tent than in Leah's tent, because he loved Rachel more than Leah. Now, as I said, I understand the setting is much different today in terms of who we're able to marry legally and uh, the number of women we're able to marry legally. But one thing hasn't changed from this scene thousands of years ago. One thing hasn't changed, and that is that we feel unattractive, especially compared to someone who was stunningly beautiful. And when we feel unattractive... That feeling keeps us down. It keeps us defeated. It keeps us from reaching God's purpose for our lives. Apparently, Leah had reason to feel unattractive. 
She had a reason to feel like she was unloved and unwanted. Uh, first of all, she had weak eyes. Now, scholars don't really agree on what that word means. It's translated in, into English as weak. She had weak eyes. Some uh, translations use the word tender. She had tender eyes. But whatever it means, we know it's not, it, it isn't a compliment. When it's used this way, she had weak eyes, but, we use the word but, the word but is a conjunction which is, is going to give us a contrast. That second phrase after but is going, to, is going to be a contrast to the first phrase. So when it says, when the Bible says she had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful, then that word but tells us, okay, so weak eyes is not a compliment. If it says but her sister was lovely, that means that Leah was not so we don't know what weak means. Uh, some people think, well, may, maybe she was, she was cross-eyed. Could have been that she was cross-eyed. Uh, it could have been um, she had droopy eyes. I mean, we don't know what, what it was, but it wasn't a compliment when the Bible says she had weak eyes. And here's the point. Here's the point. Leah was especially unattractive, particularly unattractive. And she had to live all her life in the shadow of a sister who was absolutely stunning. She is, de- she is described as being unattractive, homely. But she's, ha- she's having to live all her life in the shadow of her sister, who is absolutely stunning. And then she has to share a husband with her who loves her sister more than she loves her. So think about that. She had been unattractive all her life. Perhaps this is why Laban knew that he was going to have a hard time uh, marrying her off, so to speak. You know, nobody's going to offer money to marry her. Maybe that's why he came upon this idea to deceive Jacob. It was a deception. It was a deception. We, let's assume that he's, he's telling the truth. We don't, marry, we don't marry the younger daughter before the older daughter in, this, in our country, in this land. Well, if that was true, then why didn't he tell him that from the beginning? Why didn't he say, look, yeah, you can have Rachel, but you have to marry Leah first. Why did he deceive him? Uh, Probably because he was wondering how he was ever going to get rid of her, how he was going to unload her. Nobody's going to marry Leah, he's probably thinking. No one's going to marry Leah. And so he saw his chance. He saw this opening and uh, he decided to, to take it. And so now the girl that... Laban, the father, didn't want. The girl that Laban, the father, was probably thinking, no one's going to marry her. I've got I've to, I've I'm sorry to deceive him, but I've got to do this. I've got to trick him because otherwise, how will I ever get rid of Leah? So the father doesn't want her. She's unwanted by the father. And now she's been given to a husband who also doesn't want her. She's a girl nobody wants. The father was trying to get rid of her. Use deception for that. And the husband clearly says that he loves Rachel more. So Leah is a girl that nobody wants. And it all has to do with her looks. It all has to do with the fact that she was unattractive. Can you imagine that? Leah must have had a hole in her heart the size of the Grand Canyon. She must have had a nake in her heart. That nobody else understood. Or so she thought. Because someone did understand. Somebody was aware. 
And that was God. God was watching and he understood. Look at verse 31. We're in Genesis 29. Now verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. So the Lord saw this. He saw that Leah was not loved. He, he was aware. Uh, he, he wasn't distant. He wasn't unaware. And he stepped in and he blessed her by allowing her to conceive, which was considered to be a great blessing. Uh, being unable to conceive was considered to be a curse. And initially, Rachel was not able to conceive. And so she gets that blessing. But here's, here's what this tells me. Here's what this tells me. It tells me that God is attracted to the unattractive. God is attracted to the unattractive. Now, and I don't want you to think, oh, that means that um, God thinks if God is attracted to me, that means that God thinks I'm unattractive. Thanks a lot, God. No, that's not at all what we're saying. God isn't agreeing that you're unattractive, but only that he knows that you might feel unattractive. He understands that sometimes we feel like no, nobody, nobody gives us any attention because of the way we look, because we're not as beautiful, as stunning as somebody else might be, or as handsome, as good looking as somebody else, maybe somebody else even in our own family. And God is saying, no, I see you. When nobody else gives you attention, I see you and I'm drawn to you. And I will bless you. God is attracted to the unattractive. God wants the unwanted. Leah was unwanted by her father and by her husband. And God was drawn to that. God wanted her. God wanted to bless her. He's attracted to the unattractive. He wants the unwanted. He loves the unlovable. He loves the weak. The ones that the world tosses aside. The ones that the world doesn't want to emulate. The world wants to emulate the good-looking, the rich, the famous, uh, the ones with, you know, the, with the chiseled body uh, features. Well, God doesn't so much care about that, but He cares, cares about the inner beauty. And he saw, he saw something in Leah, and He was attracted to her. And I want to tell you today that God loves you. Whether people tell you you're beautiful or whether people never say that to you and, and you begin to think you're not, it doesn't matter. God loves you. Psalm 68, 5 says that God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. So the ones that need, the, the ones that are left without a father, the ones that are left without a husband, God steps in. He's attracted to those people. He's attracted to the people in need. To the, he's attracted to the people that are hurting, that are in pain, that have an ache in their heart, that have a hollow in their heart as big as the Grand Canyon. He's attracted to those people. And if you feel that way today, I want you to know God loves you. He cares for you. But you might say, but why? Why is He attracted to me just because, just because I find myself feeling inferior? I don't want any pity from God. Well, it's not pity. It's compassion, sure. And it's love. But you want to you want, you want know why God loves you? Why He's attracted to you? God is attracted to you because He created you. God is attracted to us because He created us. In Genesis 1.27, we read that God created man in His own image. Mankind. You know, of course, mankind is an abbreviation for humankind. Humankind. Mankind. He created us. In his own image. 
In the image of God, He created them male and female. The Bible says male and female, He created them. We were created by God in His image. We are His workmanship. And how do you think God feels when you make fun of someone that He created in His image? If you make fun of somebody else for their looks, or you make fun of yourself for your looks, you're a creation of God. If you make fun of yourself, then you're saying something about God's creation. And I just don't think that God takes that lightly. Because think of what God did to create you in your mother's womb. Psalm 139, beginning with verse 16, with verse 13 rather, reads like this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Before one of them came to be. Now think about that. Created by God. The psalmist is describing how carefully God created us. Created by God. He uses the words knit together. Uses the phrase woven together. We were sculpted by God. We're not an accident. You're not an accident. He made you just the way He wants you. Short, tall, curly hair, straight hair, small arms, big arms, doesn't matter. He made you the way that He wants you. He made you in His image. Not that He he has a body, because God is spirit, but He made you in His image because He he made you a spirit as well. He's a trinity. We're a trinity in the sense that we're body, soul, and spirit. He was very careful. He didn't just throw you together, but He knit you, He wove you, He sculpted you. And He loves you because you're made in His image. He's attracted to you. So don't say, I'm not attractive enough. No, God made you the way that you are. And so that's why He's attracted to you. We're we're the object of God's love. Think about that. You are the object of God's love. Ephesians 1.4 reads like this. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. He loved us and He chose us. I love the way that Eugene Peterson writes this in the message. Ephesians 1.4. He writes this, Long before He laid down earth's foundations, He had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of His love, to be made whole and holy by His love. He made us as a focus of His love. And I think verse 5 or 6 after that tells us that He celebrates us. It's a celebration. It's a lavish celebration. Because you know this. You know that love has to have a focus, right? Love has to have an object or it isn't love. If you don't have an object for your love, then it it isn't really love. But love is love when... It has a focus when it has an object. My wife, Lillian, is the object of my love. A while ago, during the uh, offering and little transitional time that we had, I was standing there looking at my wife, and I had a thought. She's beautiful. I love her. She is the object of my love. Whenever I wake up in the morning, the first person I think of is my wife. 
I usually kind of reach over and see if she's, she's usually up before me. Oh, she's, she's already up. My first thought is of my wife. This, my second thought is my grandkids, then my children. <laughs> Most of the time. But love has to have a focus. You are the object of God's love. Think about that. He loved you and He chose you. You're the focus of His love. Now we celebrate those we love, right? We celebrate those we love. We celebrate our love to, to the people that we love by showering them with, with our love, with our goodwill, with our blessings, with our gifts. And that's what God does. He celebrates us. He rejoices over us. He showers us with His blessings. And so God is attracted to the unattractive, to those that think. Though they really aren't, but they think they're unattractive. And so God was attracted to Leah. He opened up her womb and she gave birth to the four of her, uh, or rather to the first four of her sons. First four of her sons. So let's read about this. Genesis 1, sorry, Genesis 29, 32. Beginning with verse 32 now. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, She said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. She had some more later, but she stopped having children at that time. Now, this passage is also very, very interesting because it tells us a lot about Leah and about her spiritual journey, her spiritual growth. Notice the names that she gave her sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. She gave them very interesting names that explain, and she explained why she gave them those names. And they all had to do, the names that she gave them and her explanations, they had to do with two things, two things. Number one, you can tell she's still trying to earn her husband's love. Did you notice that? The first one, she named him uh, Reuben. And she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. That's what Reuben means. Surely my husband will love me now. The second one, she named him Simeon. uh, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved. And uh, again, referring to her husband. She's still trying to earn her husband's love. The third one, uh, now my husband will become attached to me. So she named him Levi. The word Levi means attached. She named him Levi. But notice a difference with the fourth one. The fourth one, no longer does she mention her husband. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. And she named him Judah. The word Judah means praise. Judah is a beautiful name. I love that name. It means praise. Now what's going on here? What's happening? She said, first of all, she's, she's trying to earn her husband's love. But the second thing is, she's learning about God. She's understanding a little bit more about God. Her spiritual journey is getting a little deeper. Did you notice that? Till it reaches the point that it's no longer about her husband. It's about God. Now I will praise the Lord. And it, interestingly, she uses the, the, the name 
Yahweh. If you look at your Bibles, the, the word Lord should be in all caps. L-O-R-D should be in all caps. It's not like Lord Jesus in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, L-O-R-D is in all caps because the word is Yahweh. She's using the word Yahweh. And what's interesting about this is, how does she know about Yahweh? She could have used a more generic word for God, which is Elohim. She could have used Elohim, but she uses a very personal name of Yahweh, the personal God. Now, Yahweh is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. She's in another part of the world. How does she know about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? Well, presumably, she learned about Yahweh from Jacob. She learned about him from her husband. And now she's reaching out to him. She's reaching out to him. She doesn't understand, understand everything about Yahweh. But she's calling out to him for help. That's why she says, it is because the Lord, Yahweh, has seen my misery. So surely my husband's going to love me now. And then she said, because the Lord, in verse 33, because the Lord, Yahweh, heard that I am not loved. So he gave me this one too. And then, uh, then he talks about her husband will become attached to me. And, you know, the implication being the Lord will, will allow this to come to pass. Then finally, she says, this time I will praise Yahweh. And as I've said a couple of times, now the husband is not even mentioned. But my point right now is that she didn't understand everything about Yahweh, but she's calling out to him for help. Even in the naming of her children, of her sons. What a great example for us. And I think the lesson is this. When you feel unattractive, first of all, reject that feeling because it's not from God. Reject that feeling and call on God for help. Call on Him. That feeling of being unattractive, that message of nobody loves you because of the way you look, that doesn't come from God. It comes from Satan. That belief, that, that those words that are whispered in our ears... Nobody likes you because look at the way you look. You, you're ugly. You're this. You're that. That doesn't come from God. It comes from Satan. When you feel that, when you hear those words, reject that and call on God for help, just like Leah did. And then the other thing is what, what I just mentioned. When her fourth son was born, there's no more mention of her husband. No more, this time, for real, my husband will really love me. This time he has to love me. No more of that. Now it's this time I will praise the Lord. This is a breakthrough in her life. Can you see that? You see how she's been growing? Here's a breakthrough when she finally says this time. The other times it's like this time my husband will love me. Love me. This time my husband will love me. Now this time really this time he's going to feel attached to me. But now it's none of that. It's like this time. And we're almost expecting her to say the same thing. But she says, this time I will praise the Lord. And she named her son, praise Judah. Breakthrough, breakthrough in her life. What happened? What happened is that she moved her hope off of her husband. And she placed her hope squarely on God. And so the lesson is when you feel unattractive, place your hope for joy and for fulfillment completely on God. Don't depend on, on your spouse, and, and we should love our spouses, you know, our wives, your wives love your husbands, uh, and we, you know, we should love them 
completely and you know, exclusively. But they can't meet your spiritual need. Your loved ones, your, the people that you love in your life and that love you back, they can't meet your spiritual needs. Only God can. So when you feel unattractive, place your hope for joy and fulfillment completely on God. Not on your husband, not on your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiancé, or that guy or the girl that you adored from afar. No, God is your hope. This time, she said, I will praise the Lord. This time, it's not about trying to get somebody to notice me. This time, it's not about getting somebody to love me in return. This time, it's not about building my life around my looks. This time, it's about praising the Lord. This time, I will praise the Lord. Now, let me just finish by telling you what happened with Leah. How does the story end? She was the unloved one. She was the unattractive one. She was the one who was pushed aside by her dad and her husband. So what happened to her? Well, when Jacob was about to die, he gave instructions. And we read this in in Genesis 49. He gave instructions about where he wanted to be buried. So he, he told his family the exact cave where he wanted to be buried. And basically he said, bury me where my grandfather Abraham buried his wife Sarah. Bury me in the same place also where my father Isaac buried his wife Rebecca. And bury me in that same place where I buried Leah. Rachel had died soon. There was a lot of drama in Rachel's life. She had died before Leah. But he mentions Leah at the end. No mention of Rachel. No mention of her. He didn't say, bury me where I buried Rachel. But he says, bury me where I buried Leah. Now, like I said, possibly he mentioned Leah and not Rachel because Rachel had died earlier. But I think also he mentions Leah there at the end. He's a, look, when somebody's about to die, their words carry a lot of weight, don't they? What they have to say there at the end, you're like listening. This is it. I'm not going to mince any Words, I'm not going to waste any words. And so when he mentions Leah, that tells us something about their relationship. And that he also uh, finally learned to love Leah. He finally discovered what he had in her. And he learned to love her. So he says, take me back. Bury me with Leah. I want to be buried with Leah. That's what he's saying. He didn't say, I want to be buried with Rachel, who was a stunningly beautiful wife that he loved when he was much younger. Now he's saying, I want to be with Leah. Because there's something about inner beauty that is lasting. There's something about inner beauty that through the valleys and the the problems comes out as strong and as beautiful. So today, for those of you that are here today and maybe you're watching on Facebook or listening to this on a podcast later in the week. If you're someone who has been rejected betrayed, and you didn't ask for that. There are people who have gone through a divorce, and they didn't ask for that. They didn't want that, but it happened. And they feel like Leah. They feel like Leah, unwanted, unattractive, undesired. I want you to know that God sees you In fact, it gets better than that. God knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be tossed aside. Tim Keller 
says in the story of Leah, he says this, God didn't just love Leah, he became Leah. Let me tell you what that means. God didn't just love Leah, he became Leah. Here's what he means when he says that. Leah gave birth to Judah, the fourth son. And Judah became the messianic line. That is to say, Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself, was born from the line of Judah. So, Jesus was born. He was a child of Judah, a child of Leah. Jesus was. Jesus became Leah because Jesus was rejected by man, the Bible says, and He was forsaken by God at the cross. Rejected by man, Isaiah prophesied this, and it came so. It became true. He was rejected by man. He was forsaken by God on the cross. He became Leah, who was also rejected and forsaken. So God not only loves Leah, but he became Leah. God loves you. See, I want you to see the extent to which God loves you. Leah, the girl nobody wanted, became the mother of Jesus. It wasn't the beautiful Rachel. But the homely one, the unwanted one, the unloved one. So whoever you are, you're loved by God. He has great plans for you. But you've got to learn to put your trust in God and to find your value from God, your strength from God, just like Leah did. So today I want us to turn to him. Turn to him. If you're feeling unwanted today, you're feeling unattractive, you're feeling unloved. We're going to have a response time and we're going to turn to him today. But first, let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for this just fascinating story of Leah, the unwanted girl, the girl nobody wanted, not her father, not her husband. And yet, look how she ended her life because she trusted in you, because she placed her hopes in you. It took her a while to figure it out. It took her a while to learn. And we're much the same way. Sometimes it takes us a while to to understand and to learn the lessons. But today, I believe you've spoken to us to let us know how much you love us, how you're attracted to us, whether we think we're attractive or not you're attracted to us because you created us and you chose us we're the object of your love help us to see that today help us to see that today and help us to place our hope and our trust in you lord we ask it in jesus name amen